Buffalo's all-decade tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 1043 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Yeah, you think you're smart. How smart are you? I mean, when it comes to football picks, because it's King Super's fan football pick em time, and you have a chance to beat the fan hosts. Can you do it? Can you beat me? Can you beat Orlando? Can you beat Stink? Can you beat Stoke? Can you beat Zach? Can you beat D-Mac? Can you beat Mike Evans? Can you beat Matt Smith, who's studying right now? He's crunching the numbers right now, Matt Smith. Crunching the numbers right now. <laughs> Uh, if you're interested, well, the weekly winner gets $250 to King Supers and the grand prize winner receives groceries for a year. So go ahead and register now, denversports.com slash picks to get involved in the King Supers fan. Pick them. It's a good time every time. All right. Big weekend here <laughs> in Denver, in Colorado as a state for football. Um, all eyes will be here on well, two programs in particular. Well, I wouldn't say all eyes are going to be on the Broncos, but the CU Buffs definitely have the national attention. They were the second highest rated television game this weekend. The Clemson one was, uh, I think that was, no, no, LSU Florida State was number one with a little over 9 million. But CU TCU had 7.3 million viewers. The highest viewed game on Saturday. All eyes are on the CU Buffs. This is rivalry week. They're playing Nebraska. Here is Coach Prime talking about the rivalry. Rivalries are rivalries. Um, there's some more severe than others. I think everywhere you go, coach, from high school on up or from youth league on up, you're going to have rivalries. And just learning the dynamics of the different rivalries are, it, it, I like it. It's delightful. So I've learned the, the, the severity, the serious nature of this rivalry, and I'm embracing it 100%. Coach Prime leaning in as he does. He leans into the moment. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't mince his words. He looks you in the eye and he leans into the moment. Sean Payton has a different approach here. Sean talking about the quote unquote rivalry with the Raiders. Yeah, we look at them as divisional games. I, I think of rivalries in college football and then arch rivalries. Arch. You know, I was asked that question a lot relative to Atlanta, New Orleans. I mean, look, divisional games are important. First goal is to find a way to win your division. You play your divisional opponents twice. I can't speak for rivalries. I, I don't, you know, the, I just think that exists a little bit more in the collegiate game. And I think it's, I think division games are, are important. Yes. I hear what he's saying there. Oh, but why is there a difference? Why is there a difference between college and the pros? Even the pros, you play these teams twice. And if you actually do hate each other, isn't that even a more potent potential rivalry? I think Sean Payton speaking from the fact of like, I have arrived. I've done this for a very long time. I am a highly sought-after coach. Like, hey, you know, the Broncos job became available, but if you look at 32 teams in the NFL and all 32 of those jobs became available, I'd probably have two-thirds of them would be knocking on my door for me to interview. Mm. I think where Dion now, it's a little bit different. It's One, you, you lean in because... Dion understands how big the rivalry of Florida State at Miami back in the day when he was playing, right? 
And then Dion's also coming from our HBCU, where now he's at CU, right? And CU talking about finding the money. And Dion doing everything right to create that money and show that he's worth every penny, every single penny, right? And always kind of just doing the right thing. So I think that they both are speaking from two different aspects of their career, if that makes sense. But what, what do you think when it, when it comes to the whole rivalry conversation? Yeah, I think I just think for whatever reason, you have a hard time getting an NFL coach to admit that there's a rivalry for whatever reason because because each game is so important because they know that anything can happen in this certain game. If they lose the game, they don't want some massive letdown, like some emotional thing, like we built this game up to be more important than the others. Well, what about next week? If I made this week so important, this was this rivalry game, we put everything we had into it, and we lost. We got a, the brakes beat off us. What, what happens to us next week? Is that a rivalry, too? How do we get up for that one? Because in the NFL, there are no slouch games. I know people are looking at this schedule being like, oh, this one's an easy one. This one's an easy one. There are no easy ones. Yeah, any given Sunday. Yes. These are all professional teams, the 32 best teams on planet Earth, with 2,000 of the best football players on planet Earth, pretty much equally divvied up between these 32 teams. And any of them can catch you slipping on any day and, and actually take your lunch. And so if we build up one game like it's more important than the others, what are we doing to our team, you know, psychologically? We need to take every game exactly the same. It's of equal importance. We're laying everything on the line every week, but we're doing so in a workmanlike mentality, and we don't want to get emotional in there. Rivalries can get emotional, right? And when you start playing with emotion, for a, for a coach like Sean Payton, who's a very tactical man, he's a very even-tempered man, he wants even-tempered, tactical-minded players, people who don't get swayed by emotion. Um, you know, if you go into a boxing match and you're fill, filled with anger, I mean, Mike Tyson's talked about this, then you're going to get your ass beat because you play, you fight with emotion, you, you get outside of yourself and your game plan, and all of a sudden you make yourself vulnerable. I think he's trying to make sure that these guys don't play with too much emotion and instead rely on their coaching and their preparation. And in college football as well, what is it, six games, you're bowl eligible? And there's like a thousand bowl games. All right, you get a bowl, you get a bowl. Like kind of like <laughs> it, it all depends on an Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> exactly, right? So I think that also plays a little bit of a factor when you can be like, oh, yeah, the rivalry, and it's about this week. And if you drop it, you, you still know that there's most likely success at the end of the tunnel. Where Sean Payton says there's no light at the end of the tunnel, right? In the NFL, and, and this is it's tough sledding each and every week. So maybe you don't play into it because of that as well. I just think that, you know, a lot of these guys that are in the NFL, they understand that there has been some rivalry. And I think that everybody understands the importance of competing in your division and starting there. I am like you. I don't understand why coaches really, I mean, this one could mean a little bit more. And I think that I would accept just that. You don't have to play it up as a a rivalry, but hey, this is the Raiders. I understand that, you know, the Raiders and the Broncos, they don't like each other. I understand that, you know, this game is going to have a little extra oomph out there. Yeah. And if you just said that as a coach, it's like, oh, okay, cool, coach. And for us, when I, when I played for the Broncos, we knew that Mike Shanahan used to be the head coach of the Raiders. We knew that he had a falling out with Al Davis. We knew that Al Davis owed him money. We knew that he left and came here. Well, he, he, he had a stint um, between there. Um, with the Niners as the offensive coordinator. Won a Super Bowl there. Yeah. 
comes here two years two years later he's back in the Super Bowl. That dude won three in five years. Mm. If that's not a if if that's not a resume for a Hall of Famer, I don't know what is. That dude was at the epicenter of the best football on the planet for five straight years. Um but we knew that. We knew the backstory. He didn't stand up in front of us and tell us that. He wasn't like, here, I want to give you a PowerPoint about my history with the Raiders, guys. It was just something we understood, right? So how did you guys know that? Because, I, I mean, that could play well for this football team and kind of understanding the rivalry, even if Sean Payton's not talking about it, right? Yeah, I don't really know how we knew. You know, it was just kind of like, hey, guys do their homework or figure it out, or the older guys tell the younger guys, or mm-hmm. you start to, you know, you go to this first game, and like you said, you you know, your first game was against the Raiders. You see what it's about. You know, you feel that energy, and then you go to Oakland, and you see what it's about there, and all of a sudden, a couple years into your tenure here, you understand what that means. The Broncos fan base let me feel that rivalry yeah. here in Broncos country. Yep. And then later on during that season, when we went to the black hole, yeah, felt that rivalry. Yeah, you got kids throwing batteries at the at the bus. You yeah. got little kids sticking up fingers that they shouldn't even know what that finger means at that age. She got grandma sticking got up egg, fingers, eggs being thrown at the bus. Like, yeah. like you're walking in there, it's boot, like I remember getting off the bus and jogging like into the the covered stadium because they and the, like our security guard said, "Hey, get in here as fast as possible." <laughs> yeah, but you could tell, like as you pulled up, immediately that it was different, bro. There was a, there was a swarm of zombies around the bus. The bus had to like inch forward through a crowd of people throwing crap at the bus and like yelling stuff. I, I, have you seen the movie Twenty Eight Days Later? No, it's, it's, it's a, a it's a zombie movie. Yeah, I don't watch scary movies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen a scary movie since Candyman when I was nine years old. Is that right? Yeah, woke up in the middle of the night throwing up, uh, calling for mom. Never seen a scary movie since. The biggest, scariest dude in real life. I'm not the biggest, scariest dude in real life, Nate. You were before you lost. I was a pounds. big, intimidating-looking human being for sure, but not the the biggest, not the scariest. <laughs> okay, I'm a big teddy bear dog. I know you are. I know you. I'm learning that. <laughs> um, someone on the text line saying fans hate the Raiders. What do fans hate about the Raiders? I want to know that from the RamosLaw.com text line. What do you hate about the Raiders? Is it just the the fact that they're the Raiders? What is it specifically that you guys don't like about the Raiders and Raider fans? 303-713-1043. All right, this Seth Wickersham, uh, Wickersham uh, piece on Sean Payton is pretty interesting. And, and look, the, the Russell Wilson stuff's not the only part. Um, it appears that Sean Payton believes he's in the crosshairs of the league office. He thinks that the the deck is stacked against him and that they have an axe to grind against him. He provided evidence of that from when he was in New Orleans, and they ignored that evidence. I'll talk about what that evidence is and whether or not the league is out to get our coach, Sean Payton. That's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. I float like gravity, never had a cavity, got more rhymes than the one that's got family. No need to sweat our seniors to gain some type of fame. No shame in my game, cause I always be the same. Styles upon styles upon styles is what I have. You wanted just to fight for, but you still don't know. Are you a real Broncos fan if you don't hate the Raiders? I mean, are you really? I asked you what you guys hate about the Raiders. We got a lot of action on the RamosLaw.com text line. Um, Is there anything to like about the Raiders? Obnoxious fans who cling to their championship from over 40 years ago. Wow. Um, Raiders fans, 
No, not that one. There's a lot of them that I can't share. But uh, it's coming through loud and clear, guys. Broncos hate Raiders because they kicked our ass all through the 60s and the 70s. Mm. I mean, that's true. The Broncos were bad in the 60s and early 70s until they got things figured out. Uh, The Raiders, someone else says, broke six of Steve Watson's ribs on a cheap late hit. That's from Jason in Atlanta. Steve Watson was my receiver coach when I got here. His nickname is Blade. Blade is a great man. He was a great coach, a great player as well. One of the great Broncos of all time. I don't know. I've never heard that story that he got six of his ribs broken on a cheap shot. Um, But someone else saying they've always played dirty and their fans are just terrible toward any opposing team. But I will give it to Raiders fans. They never give up on their team. You never see them booing their own side. Broncos country. Let's ride. Mm. Um, That's another thing. Does the fan base, you know, does the Broncos fan base hate the Raiders because of their fan base? Obviously, right? Yes. I mean, we've Judging heard by these stories. Texts coming in right, right? now. I mean, did that, does that make it a bigger rivalry? Did, did the fans, both sides' fans, you know, kind of add fuel to the fire when it comes to both of these football teams to help create this rivalry as well? Absolutely, man. I mean, you know, I'm from the Bay Area, and my family would, well, the first couple years I played, come to that game. And that's not a fan, a game you want to come to in Oakland with wearing a Broncos jersey or supporting a Broncos players. It was relentless the way my family and friends would be harassed if they were wearing Broncos gear. And that's the same way. I mean, any Broncos fans who, Broncos fan who went to that, those games in Oakland, it's a little bit different in Vegas because it's Vegas. You know, it's a bunch of transients coming in and paying top dollar for these tickets. So I think the mystique of the black hole and the Raiders home game experience has worn off a little bit in Vegas, but it was a really hostile environment. You were going to get things thrown at you. You were going to get threatened to get beat up. I mean, I remember having a show last year talking about this thing and someone texted in that their friend or someone they saw was wearing a Broncos jersey in the bathroom and all the Raiders fans started peeing on them. Hmm. Yeah, I remember and there's that nothing you can do about it. When I was um, this year, when the, the Nuggets won the playoffs, right, the finals, I went to games three and four in Miami. And in games three, there was uh, people right behind us and, you know, Nuggets gear and hanging out and having a great time. And I thought, you know, Nuggets fans represented really well during those playoff games down there. Mm. But I watched like a 14-year-old little kid dump a drink on a Nuggets fan. Oh, for real? Like, yeah, like his parents were arguing with him and like this 14 year old little boy, like grabbed like a soda and like, like, like splashed the guy. And I'm looking like, wow, parents, what are you doing? What the parents do? Like, what, man, literally, Timmy, don't the, do that. It, it, that's all it was. Like, what are you doing? Like, sit down. Man, if that was my kid, we're leaving the game like oh, right yeah. there and then. Yeah, there, there's no way that you could act that way. Because guess what? You're getting you're putting daddy in a situation where daddy might have to fight now because (laughs) of what you just did. Absolutely. So, yeah, do not pass. Go. We're out of here in a situation like that. But you hear about the the Raiders fans all the time and you see it. Like, I remember playing in some of these games at the black hole, looking up in the crowd and like watching like brawls. And I'm just like, man, hopefully there's not a Bronco fan involved in that. Hopefully there's just, you know, arguing amongst that fan base is arguing amongst each other right now. That's what I was going to say, because I read a text earlier that said they would never boo their own team. That's actually not true. So when we would go play there, um, they would be really into it the first half. And, and Mike Shanahan would always tell us, you got to weather the storm there. They're, the crowd's going to come out intense. The team's going to come out intense. Weather the storm of the first quarter. Stick to the game plan, and things will you know, get leveled out. And they always did. And we always you know, extended our lead. And into the second half, that crowd would 
turn on each other and turn on the Raiders and start booing them because they would be so hammered by that point and would realize that the game was out of reach and things start to, to go haywire in the crowd. Uh, here's another text from the RamosLaw.com text line. Yo, Nate, the Raiders suck because starting back in the day when I became a Broncos fan in 1973, they threw stuff at us. They harassed people's moms. They played dirty. They took Lyle Alzado from us. And since that time, I loathe them. I want to crush them every time we play them and we'll feel that to the way I die. That's Mile High Madman. Well said, Mile High Madman. Yeah, Rob. I mean, that that game just means so much more. And when you're a Bronco player, you, you realize it. So even Sean, even though what Sean Payton's saying, he, like I anticipate guys like Mike McGlinchey coming out of San Francisco. Yeah, you've played against the Raiders, but it's going to feel different now. Right, you've had that little battle of the Bay Area, but this one will feel a little bit different. Guys like Ben Powers, right? Yeah, you know, this will feel like one of those Pittsburgh Steelers games. Extra physicality, right? The little everybody's chirping after the whistle, and I think guys recognize that as soon as that opening kickoff happens, and you go out there on offense and defense, like right away, that the the, the chirping starts, and right away, whatever fan base starts booing, and, and it just the atmosphere feels drastically different than just say another game in the National Football League. One more uh, from the Rumblesloth.com text line. I hate their owner and his Lloyd Christmas haircut. Uh, Lloyd Christmas, of course, uh, um, a character from Dumb and Dumber. Mark Zuckerberg has got the same hairstylist. It's a really weird idea to do that. Just, just give me the, give me the Lloyd Christmas. Um, many reasons to hate the Raiders. So Sean Payton, I hope you're listening. Sean Payton, though, has given um, an interview to another national reporter, ESPN Seth Wickersham, a buddy of his who's been in the room with him since, you know, since they won the Super Bowl in 2009, 2010. So he knows him very well. And part of this very, very long kind of profile of Sean Payton is a really interesting bit about Sean Payton's cynicism when it comes to New York, he said. Payton believes he has reason to be cynical. In his final months with the Saints, Payton had one specific beef with the league office. A study of penalties committed against each team in the prior four seasons showed that the Saints ranked 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 32nd in penalties called against their opponents. If it's happenstance, it's an extreme statistical rarity, and obviously Sean Payton thinks that the league's out to get him. Here is Seth Wickersham talking about that this morning with the fellas. I mean, there's a lot of cynicism, I think, on both sides. And, you know, again, Parcells fought those wars with the league office, whether they were real or imagined. And when Peyton took over the Saints, he did the exact same thing. Um, if there was one thing he told me about where, you know, there was a guy, and this was after Bounty Gate, so his suspicions and his, his hatred towards the way the league operates were really in full force. And there was a guy on the sideline who was there for a year and a half and during games. And Sean was convinced that he was a league spy. And he finally found out that he was the on-site concussion specialist. <laughs> and he goes up to him and he apologizes for giving him the evil eye for almost two years. You know, he just didn't know. It's like, you know, when, when you dedicate everything in your life to winning football games, a spectacularly unhealthy existence, and, you know, often doesn't lead to discernible happiness. I think that when you're affected by things from the league office, this kind of bureaucratic way of working, right or wrong, it scars you in a deep and profound way. And he went through it with Bounty. 
He's had little wars with the league office over officiating and over rules. And then, of course, there was the, you know, the NOLA non-call in the 2018 NFC Championship game that would have iced them going to the Super Bowl again. And, you know, I think that that devastated him on a level that it, it took almost everything to recover from it. And I think that, honestly, I think that he told me that one of the reasons why he left New Orleans, the biggest reason, actually, was because he got tired. He was, he said there was a feeling that of losing the jump balls in the NFL and that success or success or lack of success with the Saints is a blip on the NFL radar. And I think that a big reason he's in Denver is because of the new ownership group an iconic franchise that is desperately in need of some success. And the fact that he thinks the league is invested in their success and he has a chance to get, you know, those jump balls that he talks about. A lot there, a lot to unpack. Sean Payton believing that leaving New Orleans was the solution to getting the, the league off of his back and getting to a new ownership group and a team that the league wants to see win. I think that's what Seth Wickersham was saying there. Do you think that Sean Payton is, by coming to Denver, getting out of the crosshairs of the league? <laughs> or was um, he ever in it? Or is this this paranoia? I think, it's, I think it's a lot to do with paranoia. Personally, like, how do you see somebody on the sidelines for two years without just asking somebody, like, yo, who is this guy? Go figure out who, like, you could send follow him home. somebody on your coaching staff and be like, yo, go ask this guy, who, who is he? What, why is he on the sideline? You could have figured out a long time before two years had passed exactly what this guy's role was. Um, you know, it is it very frustrating, the no call which, you know, turned into the Minnesota Miracle Man, which the Broncos now had Case Keenum because of it. Mm. Was that frustrating? Absolutely. But do I believe that that, you know, refereeing crew said, hey, we're going to try to screw the Saints and Sean Payton any way possible? No, I don't believe that. I believe that they messed the call up 1,000%. And nine times out of ten, if that same exact play is called, that call is being called. doesn't matter who's out there playing what players? What's on the line in a situation like that? So I truly believe, Nate, with all of this stuff, it's a little bit of too much paranoia because now it's like the league is invested in the Broncos, so that's why I want to become the head coach of the Broncos? Come on, man. The league is invested with the Broncos. Why the heck did the league make the Broncos play without a quarterback three years ago? Mm. Like, that's come on. Point. You know, so I, I think a lot of it is just a little bit too much paranoia for me. And coaches they tend to be a little stitious, not superstitious, just a little stitious. And this is uh, uh, just a little stitious. In I'm my not opinion. superstitious, but I am a little stitious. <laughs> Michael Scott. You can never go wrong quoting Michael Scott. How many Michael Squat, Squat, how many Michael Scott quotes will Mike Kliss give us next when he joins us on the Players Club? VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. We welcome in our friend Mike Kliss, our Nine News Broncos insider on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. Mike, thank you for joining us. We were just discussing 
the latest national piece on Sean Payton and um, a really interesting topic that was included in it, and that's Sean Payton's continued, we'll call it paranoia, that the league is out to get him. Um, it was revealed in the article that he kind of displayed evidence that the officials weren't calling penalties against his opponents for four straight years. His opponents were near the very, very, very bottom in getting penalties called against them. Do you think this is going to be a recurring theme here in Denver? I mean, he said he left New Orleans to get rid of that and thinks that this will be a fresh start. But do you think this is going to continue to haunt Sean Payton? That's uh, a good question. I have no idea. But um, I, you know, uh, Sean has in various uh, articles and and profile pieces kind of seems to be a, a conspiracy theorist and um you know those stats are staggering and one reason why i think uh the broncos failed last year was all the penalties i i, I think for a while they ranked last in pre-snap penalties anyway and sean payton is a big stickler on those uh, i would like to see those stats broken down a little bit more uh, you know, he's supposed to be big on eliminating pre-snap penalties. And if they still finish, you know, you know, 30th to 32nd in penalties, um, you know, that means you're getting the holding. That means you're getting the pass interference, which are the big penalties, right? The unsportsmanlike uh, penalties, the uh, late hits on the quarterbacks. Those are the penalties that really, that really um, turn a series. So, We'll see. It's an interesting tactic by uh, Coach Payton to call out the league like that and to basically call out the officials that they're out to get them um, when you're just starting over with the uh, with the Denver Broncos. So <laughs> oh, let's uh, let's find out how the early going goes that way. Yeah, it's like walking into a courtroom and slapping the judge right before the trial. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't notice anything in the preseason, so. Um, you know, untoward. I, I don't think the Broncos had a whole lot of penalties. Maybe uh, uh, some pre-snap penalties in the second series against the 49ers. But, uh, um, you know, I didn't notice any anything uh, flagrant one way or the other in the preseason. But uh, we'll see. Um, you know, the Raiders are historically the most penalized team in the NFL. And I do think Al Davis had reason to uh, – cry conspiracy against him and uh, maybe Sean Payton is is somewhat the Al Davis of head coaches now in the NFL. (laughs) Mike, um, in this article, it kind of drops it like Sean Payton knows exactly the type of coach that he is. You know, at the start of the week, he's kind of all up in arms trying to figure out a game plan, a little bit hard to deal with, hard to work with. And then throughout the course of the week, that settles down as the week goes on. When you look at a football team that's trying to change the culture, a team that's, you know, trying to win, new ownership, all these different things, um, how do you think that that's going to go in the locker room with a coaching staff that's together for the first time, with Russell Wilson trying to, you know, see if he still has it, where Sean Payton kind of is scrambling at the start of the week and, you know, not really understanding the game plan or being so difficult to work with, but then, you know, kind of tapering off as the week goes I don't know about, um, you know, scrambling for the game plan. I, di- I didn't pick that part up, but. Not you know, scrambling, Mike. Going- it's, it's trying to get a grasp on the, on the game plan and um, just being difficult to work with while you're trying to figure out the opposing team. I know the first press conference was uh, 
you know, there, there, there's some tension there. Uh, he obviously didn't want to do the zoom conference call. He was, uh, he turned off his video or didn't turn it on the video on zoom. I made it all audio from his point, cut it off at four minutes. Um, so, uh, he, you definitely saw some of that tension on Monday anyway. And, uh, you know, I think everyone, everyone inside the building like that, uh, you know, the staffers like that article alluded to, uh, the assistant coaches, some of them coached with them before or were with him before as a player and now our coaches, um, you know, it's a feeling out process. And that's one thing you get with a new head coach. You know, you don't really know how Nathaniel Hackett attacked the first week of his very first season as head coach or how Vance Joseph did or how Vic Fangio did. The Bronco players have been going through this and it's a, it's a largely a newer group now. Uh, they've been going through this, uh, you know, for the last six years with a new coach and being unfamiliar to see how the week goes. And so I imagine Sean Payton more than most, it seems like it uh, pays uh, particular attention to detail. Uh, he pays attention to a lot of smaller things. He'll stop practice and go over certain points in practice and hope, you know, eventually maybe once out of 17 games, they're going to come up in a game that he's going to have this teaching point with. And maybe you went over it, um, you know, in mid-August during training camp. So um, it's all, you know, look, we've been going through the process of Sean Payton and analyzing how he, how he goes about things. Um, can't wait for Sunday to see how it all comes together. And then we can dissect it again, the adjustments he has to make uh, next Monday. So, you know, I'm as anxious uh, as you guys are to see how the Sean Payton way is going to uh, get the best out of these uh, players. Mike, um, you know, there's been conversations this week about whether or not this game is a must-win. I personally don't think it is because I think must-win implies that there's some sort of finality on the other side. If you don't win this game, then dot, dot, dot will happen. I don't necessarily think the Broncos are in that position. But could you talk about how important this game actually is for this team, for the Sean Payton era, uh, for the city to get off uh, with a win in week one? Yeah, it's nice. I mean, look what happened with Dion in his first game and what it did to the entire region, what it did to the nation. I mean, it's got the whole nation is buzzing about the Colorado Buffaloes this week. So that would be nice if you win. But I agree with you. If you lose, there's nothing final about it. If you beat Washington the next week and you go on the road and you beat Miami and the Bears, which which are winnable. I mean, I'm sure they'll be underdog against the Dolphins, but um you know, it, it's it's not. Uh, Nate, where I don't know if you were on the 2005 team, but I keep going back to that, my uh, very first season covering the Broncos. Uh, the Broncos got wet pretty good in the hot humidity in Miami, Miami. In, yep. in the leadoff game, the season opening, yep. season opener. Second game, they're down 14-3 to at halftime, and they get booed off the field by the mile-high crowd. <laughs> yeah. And then Champ has a pick six to start the second half, and now the Broncos go to a 13-3 and record. So to what I say on the opener, yes, it's, it's big if you win. You know, it would be nice for the Sean Payton era and to provide hope after six straight losing seasons. And, and there is going to be six straight losing seasons brought into this game for the Broncos fan base. But realistically, you have to take it 
within the prism of just the 2023 schedule and by itself uh, the first game, while everybody anticipates it, they get excited for it, they react to it more than any other game. You know, it it only matters if you follow it up the next week with a loss, and then you're in trouble. Um, but if you win the following week, all of a sudden it's not a it's not a must win. Mm. Mike, are realistic expectations for PS2? Um, just going into year three of football, last time played against the, the Raiders, Devontae Adams had a big day. PS2 didn't follow him around, but there was some catches that were made on, on PS2. So just kind of realistic expectations for the season, for Pat Sertain the second, and also just this game as well. Yeah, for him... Um I think 17 games. It's, I mean, that's that's tough for anybody, but to play 17 games, I'm not sure he's done that yet in, in his career. Um, maybe he did last year, but he missed uh, like the second half against Houston. Uh, staying healthy is big for him. He's going to be all over the receiver. Uh, you know, they talk about his technique, Richard Sherman, all these cornerbacks of uh, past and present just marvel at his technique. Um, like I said, he's been playing cornerback since the crib. He knows how to play the position probably uh, better and, and easier than anybody else in the league. The one thing as far as your two, uh, three for Sertan is the interceptions. Now, I don't think he got his first interception to like game 15 last year. Breaking on the ball maybe a little bit better. You know, Champ Bailey, Champ Bailey had uh, nine interceptions one year and ten another. Uh, back-to-back years of 0506. Now he had a uh, he, he, Slowick had off coverage, and Champ read the uh, the quarterback and broke on the ball, and that's why he had so many interceptions. And after that, when he was going press, no one threw to him, and he didn't get the picks. That's where Sertan is now. He's in the press coverage, not getting the picks. But it, uh, I I do think he can break on the ball and come up with more interceptions this year. In year three, would be a a good goal for him. Good stuff, Mike. Since we're not going to have you on until next week, are you are you willing to give your prediction for the game, or does your journalistic integrity prevent you from doing that? Yeah, I think Russell Wilson's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. That's uh, and I think Sean Payton's uh, better than Josh McDaniels. So um, I think the Broncos uh, will win this game, um, and you know, win it by uh, by a touchdown, maybe a little, you know, four to seven points, right in there. Well, they're favored by four, so it looks like they'll cover the spread. And if you're listening to Mike Kliss, our Broncos uh, 9 News insider, you know that he knows what he's talking about. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. All right, have a great day. There he goes, 9 News Broncos insider, Mike Kliss, on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. All right, uh, more from this ESPN article on Sean Payton and what to expect in his tenure. Does Sean Payton feel like the league is out to get him? And also, he had some choice words for Russell Wilson. We'll do that next. Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. It's Raider Week. The Raiders. The Al Davis Raiders. I think Mike Kliss just called Sean Payton the Al Davis of current head coaches. Uh, because of his relationship with the league. So there's that. I don't know what that means, but that's something. Um, from the RamosLive.com text line, we've been talking about why you hate the Raiders. 
I think Denver hates the Raiders because there are so many Raider fans in Denver, even though the Broncos have been a great, better franchise. I'm 35 and moved to Denver from the Bronx in 97. I never understood why so many people my age didn't like the Broncos. Yeah, I guess there are a lot of Raiders fans in town, and you don't really see that until you go to the game because they make sure to go to that game. Mm. And they make sure when there's a, a completion or a, a nice play, they're standing up and yelling and doing Raiders and high-fiving each other across the heads of Broncos fans. They are definitely the minority in the stadium, but they, they get pretty loud. Yeah, no, they go out and support their team. But is it just Raiders fans living here in Colorado, or are there a lot of those fans coming in town as well, right? I mean, might want to go ski it. Might want to hit the mountains. Might want to do some... Raiders fans weekend. don't ski, and there's no snow right now. No, I mean, just throughout the course of the year, okay, right? Okay. So if you play them late in the season, right, you might right, want right. to, you know, right, right, right. January, go a little skiing, right? I mean... But I think that's wherever you're at. There's going to be some fans in, in each and every city that support other teams. And if you're a Raiders fan, yeah, absolutely, you're going to that game. Yeah, you're circling that. Yeah. Right? Well, something to think about as well. And I know there's a lot of folks who want a new stadium built out by the airport. It's like a, you know, a Wally World type of situation with hotels and restaurants and all. If you do that, then the opposing fan base is going to get larger at every one of your games. Does that matter to people? You know what I mean? Because it will be an easier destination. It'll be, you know, right by the airport. You fly in. You stay out there by mm-hmm. there. But you never come into downtown. You just stay out there. You go to the game and you leave. But do you think that would be the case here in, in, in Denver? Because, like, the, the Broncos fan base is pretty deep. And they sell out. And that only happens if you're going to, you know, put the, your tickets on the secondary market. Do you, a lot of people do A lot so. of people would more be a little bit more inclined to do that because yeah, it's out there? Yeah, especially when you raise the t- price of the tickets because that's what's going to happen. That's what happens at Allegiant Stadium. That's what happened at SoFi. All these brand new stadiums, hmm. the, the price goes way up. It becomes this destination. I know you know, Denver's not the same as Vegas or L.A., but Denver's a pretty cool destination city at the same time, depending on where you live. You know, um, People like to come spend some time here, so uh, I, I imagine the, the Raider fan base would be larger at a new stadium by the airport. Yeah, no, probably so. I mean, either way, it's interesting. I just think that that fan base is, I mean, it's horrible. It's just everything about it. it, it I'm not trying to tell people how to fan. Everything <laughs> yeah, about like, I, I, I'm not a fan of telling people how to fan, but, man, they just, they need to have, like, a classroom for, for those Raiders fans to teach them how to fan because it's it's hostile. It's a hostile environment playing against that team and going to that fan base. But I do imagine that, and I haven't been to a Raiders game since they have moved. I imagine that it's tapered down a ton in Las Vegas because you're getting a lot more people that are just in town for the weekend, right? Checking out a game. But like the true diehard Raiders fans, man, they just... They want to be bullies, and that's <laughs> right. just like that's what that fan base is all about. I don't think it's Broncos fans because Broncos fans travels really well to other places. I remember playing against the Chargers, probably you as well, where it's probably just a Crazy. sea of orange, right? Yep. But yep. Yet you don't hear about these stories. Yeah, respectful you, fans. Yeah, that's until why. you hear about the Raiders fans. Yep. Well, it's Kang Supers, Kang Supers fan football time. If you think you can beat the fan hosts picking NFL games. Go check it out. The weekly winner is going to get $250 to King Supers, and the grand prize winner receives a groceries for a year. Register now at denversports.com slash picks. Sign up to compete against the hosts. Um, all right, uh, this Seth Wickersham article on ESPN, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about 
how he told Russell, man, stop kissing babies. You're not a politician. Cool it with a Russell Incorporated stuff. Get back to basics. We talked about how Sean Payton is paranoid that the league is out to get him. In fact, presented evidence to the league along those lines that his opponents for four straight years ranked pretty much last or second to last in the league and penalties being called against them. That was evidence to Sean Payton that the league was out to get him. Obviously, he was suspended for an entire season uh, for Bounty Gate, and the league disciplined from him from that. They think that he thinks they blew a, a call against him against the Rams, actually. They sent the Rams to the Super Bowl. Um, so some interesting parts of the article, but one thing that I found pretty interesting as well that I was reading... Minnesota. Minnesota. No, it was the Rams. Was, was the Rams it was well? the Rams. That's what. No, no, that was the play. It was against the Rams, where that was the blown, the the non call. Oh, they had one against the Rams as well. Nice. That was the main one against the Rams. Okay, because the Minnesota one it was the the big. It was a blown tackle. Stephon Diggs caught that deep one. Yeah, they also had a blown call on that oh, one they? as well. Yeah. Well, the, nice. the one in question. So multiple. Was, yeah, multiple blown calls. Multiple for, so maybe maybe they are targeting them then. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so there's also this bit from a couple weeks ago at the um, at the joint practices with the Rams, and Seth Wickersham had some pr- unprecedented access to that, and he kind of sat with him as Sean Payton was going over the practice with the Rams. And... You know, it was, oh, hell of a throw by Russ, a horrible route. What are we doing? I hate this. But clicking through plays, rewinding over and over, the Rams seemed more invested than the Broncos in the outcome and in one another. They jump and yell after a big play, and the Broncos are flat. Sean Payton's frustrated about pre-snap penalties and that the receivers aren't blocking downfield on screen passes, killing any chance of a big game. What troubles him more is something he sees on film but isn't sure how to fix. It's that the Broncos, after a bad play, are discouraged on the snaps that follow. They can't forget. Few of the Broncos players know what it's like to win in the NFL, at least as a member of this club. It doesn't take much to slide and to blame others. How does Sean Payton fix that mentality? I think that mentality naturally corrects itself because even in college you see that. We go out there, you you have a play that's just a disaster, but you're able to kind of come back from that. So it's all about refocusing, right? And Sean Payton as the play caller for this offense can help out. First and 10, you go out there, okay, you know what, there's a pre-snap penalty. Now it's first and 20. Well, you don't got to go get 15. Let's just try to go get half of that. Let's go try to get 10. So now it's second and 10. And you could, you know, kind of correct it with how you approach the game and how you call plays for this offense by looking at it as, you know, maybe it's a third and, and four, but you're inside the 10. Maybe you're thinking automatically, hey, we're, it's four down territory. And now how you call that could help instill or, or change the mindset. Or, or thought process of this young football team that hasn't found success. So I think Sean Payton could do a lot more and help and turn around the thought process and, and fixing that particular issue. Yeah, how do you teach guys to win? You win, and winning will teach them how to win and to expect to win and to get excited. You know, you don't want to be dwelling on the last play. That's what football's about. Get back in the huddle. It's time for the next play. We'll watch the film tomorrow. But you got to let that stuff go and get excited for one another. How do you coach getting excited for one another, rallying around one another, getting pumped up? That's something that comes from winning, and winning is fun. The more you win, the more fun you have. Talking about fun, we got the Thursday football kickoff. Join 
Zach and Noshawn as they kick off the season at Cochino Taco in Edgewater. Come celebrate the start of the season Thursday from 11 to 2 at Cochino Taco in Edgewater. Mmm, tacos. Everyone loves tacos. All right, that's it for us on the Players Club Fun Show Orlando. Stick around for Stokely and Zach. They're next.